Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Today's special Soul Talk episode is about the lessons that I learned from my childhood and how I grew up. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are about to dive deep. Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to make a special announcement for those of you that know me, know my work. Maybe you've been following Soul Talk for a while. You know that I do and have done a very special event called the Boundless Bliss Bali Breakthrough Experience. Well, folks, 2023, this is the final year that that I will be doing this event. For the last 11 years, I have done 21 of these events. That's right, 21. The Boundless Bliss Bali Breakthrough Experience is a 12-day experiential seminar training without walls that is designed to help free you from your conditioning so that you can connect to your most authentic self and share your gifts with the world. It's a truly life-changing event. And so if you are someone and you felt that you've been put on the planet for a purpose bigger than yourself, you feel a readiness to go to your next level and grow. You're tired of just reading the books. I want to invite you to attend and apply for what will be the final. That's right, folks. This is the last Boundless Bliss Bali event that I will ever do. All things have their own natural cycle. And so December the 5th through the 16th, I'm going to do the final Boundless Bliss Bali journey. And we are selling out fast. So if you've been thinking about attending, you've been wanting to attend, you feel an inspiration from the Soul Talk podcast, I want to extend a very special invitation for you to join me in Bali this December. This is your opportunity. And I want to encourage you to seize the moment because this is your final chance. December the 5th through the 16th, you can find out more Go to www.boundlessblissbali.com. That's www.boundlessblissbali.com. Here we are, folks. Another week. Another week is here. Isn't it incredible to feel how time flies? Time waits for no one. And as we talk about time, I've been thinking about time and how time has flown by in life recently. You know, often I'm asked how how I got started in this field of personal development and self-help and spirituality. Was there a moment, people ask? Was there a specific event, people ask me? And the truth is, my entire life, I have felt a calling. My entire life, I, even from a very young age, I was a very empathetic kid and I would feel people's pain very deeply. 
there was always a part of me that wanted to alleviate suffering in some way. I just didn't know what that would look like, you know? But I felt people and I would feel people. They would come into the room and I just felt them. I just had a sense of what was going on for them in their lives. I didn't know how to communicate it though, as a young boy, the five and six and seven. Some would say I had a bit of an unusual childhood. I actually thought my childhood was quite normal. I thought my childhood was like everybody's childhood, only to find out that my childhood was a bit unique. I think it was a blessing because I thought my childhood was, was like everybody's. And so I grew up with the sense of possibility that everything was possible. Why? Because as a young boy, my first memories were seeing I remember seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the gravel that this man walks on and wipes it on her face and stands up. Week after week, I grew up seeing the same man look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, stand up out of, out of the wheelchair, you're not sick. And they would stand up and I would, I would see him look at a person with crutches and he would say to them, throw these crutches away and they were healed. So I grew up around these miracles, these miracles that I thought were completely ordinary, completely normal. I didn't think anything of it, you see, because it's all I knew, it's all I saw. I grew up with the sense of possibility without even knowing that it was a possibility. I just thought it was just the way things were. This man was my father. Some of you may, may or may not know, but my father built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. He had a huge church in London every, every week. About four to 5,000 people would show up to our church location in South London. His church was in Brixton, another one in Wandsworth, in the town hall, in Clapham Junction, in Ballam, for those that know London. And uh, every Sunday we'd go to church. And so my life as a young boy was completely made up of going to my father's church, then my mother being Japanese, my father was Ghanaian, my mother being Japanese, I would sit with my mother and meditate. She was a Buddhist, grew up Buddhist. So my, my childhood was so eclectic, you know? And as a boy, not being born in London, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. Some of you may not know, but at the age of three, three we had to flee Ghana due to a bloody political coup. The reason we had to flee was, you see, the army came, over, came into Ghana and took over, killed the president. My father happened to be the spiritual teacher for the president. The president was my godfather. I was actually born with his name. My official name on my birth certificate is Ignatius Kutu Achampong, Blackson, which is my father's name. And because my father and the president, Ignatius Kutu Achampong, were so close, they killed the president and they were looking for my father to kill my father. By a stroke of grace, my father happened to be in London. He could not fly back to Ghana. My mother and I, a little Japanese woman, she was stuck in Ghana, not able to speak the language and feared for her life. But luckily, we were eventually smuggled out of Ghana and ended up in London. And I often think, you know, how would my life be if I stayed in Ghana? It would have probably been a very different life had I stayed in Ghana, grown up in Ghana, but somehow the stroke of destiny took me to London. I needed to be in London because London provided me a 
completely different way of thinking, a completely different way of seeing the world, a completely different way of understanding reality and the world and life. And as a young boy, I never felt British. I didn't feel at home in the UK. I felt like a strange bird. But then again, I didn't feel like I was from Ghana. I didn't feel African because I couldn't speak the language. And whenever I'd go back, they would call me foreigner. And then simultaneously, when I go to Japan, people would look at me weird because they, they, they could see I kind of looked like my mother, but I was brown. And so here was this chocolate brown kid with a Japanese mother that looked Japanese kind of and spoke fluent Japanese, but wasn't Japanese. So as a young boy of five and six, I always grew up with the sense of never quite fitting in, never quite feeling at home. Where was home? I never felt at home. This was my question. And because I never felt at home, I wasn't African. I wasn't Japanese. I wasn't British. I was, what was I? And so there was, from a very young age, I began searching very intently to try to find myself, to try to find my identity, to try to find my sense of belonging, because I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And that drove me to really begin asking the questions of who am I and what am I and where do I come from and where do I belong? And that really drove and motivated a profound soul searching. From a very young age, I began my question. And this is what drove me to seek, to seek answers. You see, I would sneak into my father's office and he had a thousand books on his bookshelf. That's right, maybe even more than a thousand books. And on his bookshelf were books from everyone from Osho and Krishnamurti and Maharishi Mahesh Yogi and Yogananda, Muktananda, Eastern mystics, Alan Watts, the Western mystics, Gurdjieff, Uspensky, Madame Blavatsky, the Theosophical Society, Joseph Murphy, then the metaphysicians of new, uh, the founders of Unity, Charles Fillmore, and Ernest Holmes of Science of Mind. And then I would go to my father's bookshelf. He had all sorts of books on aromatherapy and acupuncture and reflexology and hypnosis. Then he had books from people like Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williamson and Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and... And there were so many books from people like Dan Millman and, and, and Stuart Wilde, and the list goes on. And so as a young boy, how I got started in this field of personal growth was I began to devour, literally devour the books on my father's bookshelf. For me, I felt like I was reborn. I felt like I was born again. When I read my first self-help book, it was like a, a light bulb came on. You could almost say, you know, I hate to use this analogy, but I, it was as though I found porn as a teenager. You know, it, I, I would read these books with so much excitement. My first self-help book was by Shakti Gawain called Creative Visualization. And you mean to tell me as an eight, nine-year-old kid that my thoughts had power, my thoughts had force, my thoughts had creative energy, that I could visualize things and feel things and they would come into being. I felt like I was on top of the world, folks. And so I lived and breathed it. What I would do was I would go to school. I'd come home. I would eat. I would do my jogging, literally run outside. Then, I, then I'd do my homework. And then 
I would read. I would go into my room at night every single day, every day from 12 to 18, 12 to 18. And I would read three, four, five hours a night until past midnight. And I'd be reading, understanding, questioning, trying to get my questions answered. And this became my passion. I remember reading. I remember at age 13, saving up $500 and you know, ordering the entire Jim Rohn. That's right, Jim Rohn audio set from Dallas, Texas, where his offices were. And never forgetting when the, the package arrived, how excited I felt. I remember at age 11, listening to Tony Robbins's 30-day personal power series. I remember at age 14, finding a bookshop called Watkins in London, which was a spiritual bookshop. It was, it was as though my entire world opened up. And I began reading people like Stephen Covey and Stuart Wilde and Chogyam Trumpa and, you know, Buddhist texts. This was my life. And it's, and it's interesting because when I look at how popular spirituality has become today, it's become a thing. It's become a trend. It's become a fashion statement. But for me, as a kid, it was my passion. It was my world. It was my life. I ate it. I breathed it. I shit it. I, I smelt it. It was, it was 24-7. I would be reading on my way to school. I'd be reading on my school breaks. I'd be reading, walking back from school to the train station, reading self-help books on the train, reading when I got home. This was my passion. And so as a young boy, I would dream. I would dream about living in Los Angeles, California, which is where I happen to live now. I would dream about living in LA. I even bought a map of LA because in that time we did not have Google and the internet. And I would uh, study the map of LA, Wilshire Boulevard, Olympic Boulevard, Pico Boulevard, Santa Monica Boulevard, 7th, 10th, 18th Street. You know, all, uh, I studied downtown, Koreatown, Santa Monica, Brentwood, Beverly Hills. It was as though I understood LA intimately. And because this is where so many of the authors lived, Marianne Williamson, Louise Hay, they lived in LA, Barbara DeAngelis. So for me, LA was the Mecca. That's why I came to LA. See, I came to LA with a dream and a vision of going into this field. I never wanted to be a mechanic. I never wanted to be an actor. I never wanted to be a social media star. I never wanted to be a model. I never wanted to be a, a salesperson. I just wanted to write books, self-help books, and teach and inspire people. I would sneak into my, see, we live behind my father's church. We didn't have a lot of money, so there was an apartment attached to the church. And I would sneak into the church in the middle of the night with the lights off. And I would speak to the empty chairs. I would give seminars as an 11-year-old kid for two, three hours a night sometimes, more on the weekends. I would give seminars to the empty chairs, imagining I was inspiring thousands of people. And so in many ways, I'm so privileged now when I have the opportunity to lead seminars. Maybe some of you I've met, maybe some of you have been in my courses, maybe some of you have come to Bali, maybe some of you have come to my weekend events, maybe some of you have come to my bigger events with 500, 600, 1,000 people. I'm so privileged whenever I get to do this work. Because for me, what I do is not a, is not a career. What I do is a calling. What I do never felt like a choice. It felt like something bigger than me was calling me. It was a mission. It was a vision.
And so I feel so, how can I say, humbled and inspired to be able to do this work now, to live the dream that was put in my heart, to live the dream that was put in my soul. And as a young boy, I was told and encouraged to follow my soul. I saw profound examples of my father. My father was a man of faith. My father was a man of deep trust. My father was a deep man of deep courage. He was called the miracle man of Africa. And I saw my father have such faith and trust in life. He never worried. When I would worry about things and life and outcomes, my father would look at me and he would say, son, why are you worrying? Why are you worrying so much? Look at the sun. Does the sun worry? Look at the moon. Does the moon worry? Look at the trees, the mango tree. Does the mango tree worry how it's going to get to the supermarket? So why are you worrying? Did you bring yourself to this world? And I would say, no, dad, I didn't. And he would say to me, if you didn't bring yourself to this world, then why are you worried about life? Do you not think that the same intelligence that brought you into existence this innate intelligence, the God force, that it knows exactly what to do and how to fulfill its destiny through you. Do you not think it knows? And I would say, yes, dad. <laughs> and I remember those days when I would see my dad live with such faith. He was a man of faith, a man of miracles. And I think through that, somehow the osmosis of my father's uh, faith, courage, transmitted itself to me. And so as a young boy, I had visions of inspiring millions of people around the world in seminars and live events. It's funny because I didn't grow up with very much money as a kid. We didn't have very much because everything belonged to the church. But one thing I would do is I would, I had one suit as a teenager and I would wear my only suit and I would sometimes catch the tube, the train and the tube into London, central London. And I would go to a fancy hotel, you see, because I've read in these books that you have to think it and believe it and feel it in order to achieve it. And that abundance was a state of mind. And so I would read these books on abundance. Sanayan Roman, who wrote an amazing book on money, and Stuart Wilde, who wrote the book, The Trick to Money is Having Some. And I got so hyped up on these books that I, I would put on my only suit and I would pick a fancy hotel in London. Sit, I would imagine teenage coot, right, folks? I would sit in the lobby of the hotel with a briefcase, looking very important. I'd buy a $10 cup of tea. I didn't even drink tea. And I would sit there reading my self-help books. I would sit there journaling, writing my goals, writing my vision, writing what I wanted to create and achieve in my life, seeing myself in America, seeing myself in Los Angeles, seeing myself impacting people. Here I am, 14-year-old Koo, sitting in the lobby. Imagine you saw this strange little kid sitting in the lobby of a hotel, a black kid sitting in the lobby of the hotel, sticking out like a sore thumb. <laughs> and I would visualize, I would visualize, I'd visualize. So as a young kid, the other thing I learned was the power of visualization. The power of visualization. One thing I learned was what I call, what I've now turned into what I call the manifestation map. In order for manifestation to happen, there must be a few elements. Number one, your thoughts plus your feelings. You got to think it, then you have to feel it. You have to feel as though it's already done in your body, in your nervous system, celebrate as though it's already happened. Then your words all have to be in alignment. Your thoughts, 
your feelings, your words must be in alignment. You must speak those words and speak your vision into reality as though it's already done. You got to see it. You got to feel it. You got to, you got to speak it. When you connect that to a sense of deeper purpose, you create a vibration and that vibration creates a field that becomes magnetic, that begins to magnetize experiences, situations to you. And so I would go into a fancy hotel with my only suit and a briefcase and journal, envisioning my future. I'll never forget one day I was 15 years old, 14 years old, maybe. And I'll never forget. I'm sitting in the lobby of this hotel. I think it was the Hilton somewhere in the center of London. It was a fancy hotel for me, at least. And I saw this entourage of people, this entourage of people walking through. It was like out of a movie in slow motion. And in the middle of this entourage was this really handsome, tanned guy with perfectly coiffed hair in this black suit with cuff links and a beautiful tie and handkerchief in his pocket and with this swagger strolling through the lobby and 15 people around him and walking with such confidence, radiating the smile that could only be from California. And I was hypnotized by this guy, by this dude. And I thought, I want to be like that. <laughs> and so I followed the entourage and they went into this conference room and Lo and behold, it was an Herbalife conference. And this guy was Mark Hughes, the founder of Herbalife. Very charismatic guy. And I remember sneaking in and sitting in the back of this conference for two hours, seeing Mark Hughes speak on stage. It was my first time seeing a speaker on stage. That's when my light bulbs went off. And I knew that this was what I wanted to do. I, I'd been practicing. I'd been, but now I had a vision. Now I had a reference of someone that was doing it with such swagger and confidence and radiance. And this lit me up. It lit a fire in my soul. Changed my life, changed my trajectory. And so as a young boy, for me, folks, personal growth and self-help and spirituality, it, it was not a gimmick. It was not a thing. It was my life. I lived it. I breathed it. I, I, I swam it. I thought it. I pooped it. I mean, you name it. And so I feel very privileged to be able to share on Soul Talk with you all because it gives me the opportunity to live my dream and live my dharma and live my purpose. I feel privileged for the millions of lives that I have impacted through my Soul Talk podcast through my videos, through my books, the hundreds of thousands of books that have been sold through my online courses, through my live events, through my Boundless Bliss Bali journeys, through my coach apprentice journeys. I feel privileged, truly privileged. So as a young boy, I learned the power of faith and trust. And one thing I learned as a young boy was you know, I grew up seeing my father and my mother, especially. My mother, in a strange way, taught me a very important lesson as a young kid. And that lesson was to not allow your ego to get in the way of what's important, to not allow your ego get in the way of love, to not allow your ego get in the way of what's important. My mother was someone, you see, very different than my father. My mother was behind the scenes and my mother would serve my father's churches. 
in a sense, my mother basically ran everything. And, and, and my mother was so profound. I did not appreciate it when she was alive because she was just my mother. But my mother just, she just was. She didn't have to teach it. She didn't have to get on stage. She didn't have to, she didn't, she just served because it was the thing to do out of her love for her husband, out of the calling in her soul and her love for God. And every day she served. She wasn't seeking validation. She wasn't seeking attention. She wasn't seeking accolades. There was no social media to post a story and show what she was doing. She just served. My mother served everybody. Didn't matter who you were. In fact, the people that came to my father's church were actually some of the most difficult people. They were not as educated and they, had, they didn't have very much. And, 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 and they, they were often the people that tried everything, but they were quite difficult or their cases were quite difficult. So they were quite challenging personalities. And they happened to be from completely different culture, African culture, West Indian culture, totally different culture than my Japanese mother. And yet every day I saw my mother serve the people with grace, serve the people with humility, serve whether they gossiped about her, whether they gave her a hard time, whether they were difficult, she just showed up and served them with kindness. And I never forget seeing this example every day. My mother would tell me that service to man is service to God. And my mother would tell me that she's not just serving people. She's not just serving personalities, that she's serving God in human form. Because she said to me, Kud, if you just serve people, people will disappoint you. If you just serve people, people will betray you. If you just serve people, it will, you will be disappointed and you will stop loving. But if you serve God, the God inside of everybody. It will give you the courage to keep loving. And I saw my mother every day. Just serve. Even to the moment she died. Just being of service. And so I grew up, folks, with, with a deep foundation and understanding of the power of service. My life and the orientation of my life was about service. It wasn't about me. You know what's interesting, and you may agree or may not agree, but I think in our Western culture, especially America, I live in America, I love America, but I do see that there is a bit of a narcissistic focus in that we sometimes let everything revolve around our children. Everything revolves around our children, and then our children end up thinking that they are the center of the universe, and they are so self-important, and they become so self-important, and they become so narcissistic. So for me, in a strange way, I grew up with a sense that service to humanity was the most important thing. And we grew up being of service to the community, to the church members. And so in many ways, I think this provided a foundation for me. You know, and what I saw was, folks, at some, at some point in life, you begin realizing as you mature that a life of acquisition, a life of attainment, a life of simply getting 
is empty. At some point, you might get everything you thought you wanted, only to realize that you reach another point of dissatisfaction. You might get the car and the house, nothing wrong with it, but at some point, you reach a point of dissatisfaction. That what truly satisfies is being on purpose. And what truly satisfies is to commit yourself to being of service, to a cause, to a purpose that is bigger than yourself. If you are not surrendered to a purpose that is bigger than yourself, and if all you are serving is yourself, you will not feel truly fulfilled. And this is one of the most important things I saw demonstrated to me by my mother and my father as a child. I didn't realize the power of it now. But I see how it's impacted my life because even with my clients, in my events, in my seminars, in Bali, when I do my nine-month program for my coach apprentices, for me, I never got into this business, this industry of self-help for a business to make money. I just wanted to be of service. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make impact. And that was my focus. It's interesting now to see many folks, because self-help has become popular, getting into this field because they want a side hustle, becoming life coaches because they see other people being life coaches and it looks kind of sexy. When I got into life coaching, there was no such thing as life coaching. And I just began serving one person. And I served another person. And I just focused on being of service to the people that showed up. And I just trusted. And I asked God in my prayers, God, please bring me the souls. Please bring me the souls that I have been destined to serve. And that's been my intention. And I've been blessed because my work has grown. I started off working with one person in a small room. 20 plus years ago. And my work has now been blessed to expand around the world with clients on every continent. Some clients you would have even have heard of. And so, for me, what I do is not a career, it's a calling. And what I would invite you all to think about in today's episode of Soul Talk is if you just have a career, you will make money and you will make a living. You go to work, get your paycheck, make money, you will make a living. Maybe you make a good living. But to truly be fulfilled and make a life, you have to get clear on what is your calling. What is your calling? When you get clear on what your calling is, because for me, it's a calling. That's why I can speak for hours. I can coach for hours. You know, my events in Bali and it's 14, 15, 16 hour days. When I teach my coach apprentice, sometimes I'm teaching 17, 18 hours. In five days, we sometimes, sometimes teach 100 hours. 
895 to 9200 hours in five days. You can't do that if it's just for the money. When you tap into what your calling is and what your purpose is in life, you transcend your self-focus. You stop living for yourself and you start living for those around you. As you start living for those around you, you impact those around you and you start living for the world. You start living for the world. And when you start living for the world and humanity, you tap into another dimension of energy and God gives you and graces you with another dimension of energy that is beyond human. That's when your life gets interesting. And so, what is your calling in life? This is the question I want to ask you. What is your purpose and what is your calling? Are you living your calling? And if not, why not? Some things to think about. Today's episode of Soul Talk. So folks, we're going to wrap today's episode. But it's been great sharing. I wanted to share today's episode because many folks ask me, how did you get started? How did you do what you're doing? What was your motivation? And I wanted to share. Just so that you could get a sense of why I do what I do. Because when you know what your why is, and when you know what is truly driving you, it gives you the courage to persevere. Because there were many moments when I wanted to give up. There were many moments when, especially when I first came to the U.S., I came to the U.S., two suitcases, $800 in my pocket at 18 years old. And I knew nobody in Los Angeles. I didn't know one person. But I felt the calling, and it was bigger than me. And so when I wanted to give up, the calling kept me going. And when the going gets tough, the calling will keep you going. Folks, I hope you enjoyed today's short episode of Soul Talk. I would love it if you share today's episode with friends and family. Send me an email, kublaxon at kublaxon.com. I would love to hear your takeaways from today's episode. And I would love it if you do me a favor and write a review on iTunes sharing what you love about the Soul Talk podcast. You can even tag me on Instagram or Facebook, letting me know that you did so. But the more we have reviews from you, the more the podcast will spread. Really appreciate you all. I'll catch you next week in next week's episode of Soul Talk. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.